This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. All right, we're here with a very special edition of the Metal Sucks Podcast. Uh, this is Vince Nielstein. Axel Rosenberg. And our special guest today is Rob Flynn of Machine Head. What's going on, guys? What's up? Thanks for coming out to the beautiful Vince division of the Metal Sucks Mansion. <laughs> to the Metal Sucks Mansion in, in your uh, Brooklyn Brownstone. In, in, right, in, in <laughs> the non-Brooklyn Brownstone Metal Sucks Mansion. Um, but um, very excited to have you here. Thanks for coming. Um, this, is, this is obviously a bit of a different format than we usually do on the podcast here. But, uh, you know, we're going to just roll with it and Sweet. see where the conversation goes. What and, do you guys uh, normally do? Uh, well, usually um, we have um, Pete and Brandon and Jocelyn. They host the show. They do a little news recap. Uh, okay, like it goes gotcha. like, you know, 15, 20 minutes. Then they get into an interview uh, with one guest each week. Um, sometimes they do little skits, like little 30-second uh, minute nice. skits. Um, and they play a couple songs at the end. Um, so this is so just... we're getting right into we're it, We're just man. getting right into it. Fucking we're just tearing doing, this thing open. We're doing a... Uh, a big boy podcast. I don't even. Know. <laughs> I don't even know. I was joking before. I was like, "You're listening to NPR, and this is Rob." <laughs> so on you got a good note, NPR voice. Thanks. <laughs> Finally, something to fall back on when this metal thing falls apart. <laughs> uh, so it seems fortuitous is maybe the wrong word, but uh, relevant that we're sitting here recording this on November the sixth. Two days from now is the one year anniversary of. Uh, comrade Trump's election. Mm. So how do we feel the year has gone? Has it been as bad as we expected, worse, better, exactly what we thought it was going to be? I'm saying we for everybody, by the way. I'm not just speaking in the royal we. Or... Yeah. Okay. We as in the listeners the too. Yeah, the yeah, group. The group, yeah. I, it's gone. For it's kind of gone. It's kind of... I mean, I think it's exactly as I expected it would have gone. It, it was looking crazy and it's been fucking crazy and all that division is just even more sown and and uh yeah kind of fucked do do you see it in um in in your life out on the road in the way that uh fans interact with you um uh in in what you see online uh just w within your work well you know what i haven't head. been on the road since the election right, right. I've, been, I've been off the road we did 20 months uh 283 shows on the last record and then so when we got off the road it was like all right <laughs> let's take a fucking break here um so my experience has been pretty much solely just my experience at home do you do you feel like you live in a bubble do i feel like i live in a bubble yeah like personally, you know, like personally, like personally, <laughs> like at or, home, or, you know, like are you, you know, isolated from quote unquote real America? Uh, do I feel like, I don't, I mean, do you know, like, do you, are, do you find yourself running into people with make America great again hats? Uh, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. there's lots of, I mean, my manager voted for Trump. Oh, wow. so mm. I, you know, <laughs> we've had lots of discussions. The, yeah, you know, I've got ever... people. I mean, I've got people in my life for sure who, mm -hmm. I mean, who are very much a part of my daily, regular life who voted for Trump, and we have discussions. And sometimes we don't have discussions. You know, like to the point where you know we had our discussions, and now it's just kind of like, look, I know how you feel, and I respect how you feel, and you know how I feel, and you need to respect how I feel, and just 
that's it and be done with it. And we can still talk about a million other things. We don't ever need to discuss, you know, politics or God, which are the two things that are always off the table, right? Like nobody needs to ever discuss those in a casual situation. It's just so kind of inflamed right now. I mean, I guess in a bubble, you know, for me, like I grew up three blocks away from the trailer park that my dad grew up in. You know, we were lower middle class. I wouldn't say we're poverty, but we were, we were pretty, you know, he was a baker. We weren't making like a shit ton of money. And, you know, all the people, you know, I remember what it was like being in my neighborhood. And I, I remember the song Bad, Bad Leroy Brown by Jim Croce. And that was like, like I related to that song. I would look around my neighborhood and those people were in my neighborhood. And so... You know, I don't want to say it was a, like, again, this isn't the fucking ghetto here. This isn't Compton, but it was just white trash and poor. And, and so I get it, you know, and that never left me. I lived there for, till I was in sixth grade, you know, and then I moved to, my family moved to, we moved around a lot, but then we moved to a suburb in Fremont and when I was in seventh grade and, you know, so that was the first time I was around people who had, you know, not a lot of money, but it was like. Uh, just a regular fucking boring suburban suburb. You know what I mean? And so as far as my experience, I get it. You know, I get the division. I get the frustration that people feel. Um, you know, I don't feel like I'm in a bubble because I've, uh, you know, being in a band and I go out to shows and things happen to me, you know, kind of that bubble isn't really there. You know, it's a different, Yeah, I, mean, I, I have a different outlook on things because of that, mm-hmm. because people view me differently. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, it must be, um, you know, you, you really have to toe that line as a musician because you know that a lot of your fans are going to have very different political opinions than you do. Mm-hmm. Um, do, do you find that difficult or, you know, cause I mean, you are very vocal. You're one of very few people in metal who, who is vocal about their politics, um, which, which, you know, we, we think is, is commendable obviously, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it turns a lot of folks off. Um, have you run into any fan backlash or, um, or, or, um, antagonism of any kind? You know, nothing more than I think uh, anybody else in the social media world that we live in now gets. (laughs) You know, it's maybe a little bit more magnified, but I think it's probably just all the same shit. And I don't read all my fucking comments anyway. Um, Neither do we. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, you can't. I just got to do your thing, right? Like, I think I look, there's plenty of shit that I don't say anything about. And just shut my fucking mouth over because I don't want to deal with it because I don't want to fucking deal with the backlash. I don't want to deal with people saying anything. I don't want to deal with it. You know, I don't want to be, you know, I've been on press tour now for two weeks and every fucking 
interview. They're like, you're the guy who stands up and says shit. Like, I don't want to be the fuck. I don't want to be the guy who stands up and says shit. Like, that's, yeah. I want to be the dude who gets up and starts fucking mosh pits and gets fucking ignorant and, you know, but, makes but, your head bang. Like, it, I don't right? like, you know, like you feel passionate about something and you yeah. feel inspired to write a general journal a general, entry. Yeah. And, and I uh, do, or make a video or just say what mm -hmm. I say, you know, like I do it. And, you know, a lot of times it's just literally like I just sit at the fucking computer and I just start typing. Like, I don't think, I don't sit there and plan any general journal. I never think about what I'm going to write. I just start writing. And oftentimes it'll, the first two paragraphs will be about something completely different. And then somewhere along the line, it'll just go into this whole other thing. And sometimes it's political and sometimes it's about sex or sometimes it's about jerking off or whatever, you know, like it just goes. And then I go, ah, oh, I guess it's what this is about. And I post it. Mm -hmm. uh, but at the same time, I mean, you know, you have a platform, you know, you know that you that people respect and look up to you, uh, sure. you know, so you must have some awareness or, or desire to to impact some kind of change. I, you know what I don't look at it like that. You know, I don't look at. I'd never said to myself, oh, I've got this platform and you know, I should whatever. Like, it's, it's never like that to me. It's just you know, if anything, consciousness that platform, comes out, comes out. that platform makes me, uh, not double think, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, you know. Second guess. Hesitate. Yeah, second yeah. guess. That's mm -hmm. <laughs> double think. <laughs> second guess doing it because I know that because I have this platform, you know, this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, sometimes I'm just like, I do it, and sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just don't post it at all. Yeah. Um, so it really just comes down to a matter of uh, what you're feeling in that moment. You feel it inspired is to, to me. Sit it's down, like to me. Typing. It's the same thing as music. Like when I write a general journal, like it's just me being creative. It's just another creative outlet for me. And and uh, nine times out of ten, I post them. And it, every one out of ten, I don't. Mm -hmm. um, do you do you respect artists who choose to? post them zero out of 10 times, uh, you know, say like, uh, you know, Metallica famously has a non-political no, no yeah. politics. They, although they seem to in recent, you know, with, with this in, in recent times to be kind of abandoning that, you know, you see Kirk Hammett getting pretty vocal and, uh, you know, Lars saying some things. Um, but I think um, the politics within their band too are quite a bit different. So yeah, yeah. It seems yeah. like a safe assumption. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but in any case, uh, you know, I mean, look, if somebody, I don't think that if you don't want to speak up, don't speak up. You know what I mean? Like if I have the ultimate respect, that's your choice. Now you don't need to do what I do. Sometimes I ask, I think I don't need to do, do what I do, but you certainly don't, you know, if that's, if you don't feel that, you know, if there's another way you want to do it, or if there's no way you want to do it, don't do it. This is just how I choose to live my life. Yeah, yeah, it's it's difficult. You know, it's something we struggle with. You know, as writers, because we know we have the platform. And you do, and you uh, have a really like I gotta say, I admire that about you guys. You guys have a fucking opinion, man, and you put it out there, and you're like, this is the way we feel. And dude, that's super commendable. You know that you have, 
you know, A, you create content, B, you have a fucking super strong opinion and you stick to it and, you know, good on you. I'm sure you take a lot of shit for it. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> Never. Everyone's uh, on board with us 100%. Yeah, right. But you, like, you must have known, for example, you were way out front on the Anselmo thing. You must have known that was going to get a strong reaction, positive or negative. So. It was definitely discussed. Uh-huh. For sure. Uh-huh. I mean. Like within the band or? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. For days. Uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. I, we. Anybody we decided we decided not to say, no we decided not to say anything right after it happened right mm-hmm. Phil and, my Phil right and I said nope my I'm not going to say anything mm-hmm. you know and we didn't you know and then something else happened and we decided not to say something again and then something else happened and we decided not to say something again and then you know finally the I guess the non apology was like kind of like oh like and then the silence for like 48 hours or whatever (laughs) i was just like maybe time to say something right Mm -hmm. and granted now i figured that there would be uh, you know more from like that camp Mm -hmm. i certainly didn't expect the massive crazy insane reaction that happened Right. No, like we had a thousand. I had a thousand death threats. We had neo-Nazi groups threatening to disrupt the shows in Madrid, threatening to disrupt the shows in Leipzig, Germany, East Germany. You were on tour in Europe. I was Europe on tour. My happened. wife was having neo-Nazis call the house and threaten her and the kids, and it was fucking scary, man. It was really fucking insanely scary. Did um, you at any point get the authorities involved? I got a Southern Poverty Law Center or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm That's saying it. that right. Yep. Yeah. Southern Law Poverty Center. Southern That's Poverty it. Law Center. Yeah, there you go. <clears throat> and what, uh, to what extent did you get them involved? I explained to them everything that was going on, and they, you know, it was, I didn't really get too far with it. You know, they're kind of just like, look, dude, you're a public figure. Like, that's it. You know, like, the laws that normal people have don't apply to you. Mm-hmm. And that's true. You know, I'm a public figure, like, slander or threats or whatever like until something physically happens to me like you have more rights than I do both everybody in this room has more rights than I do but because I'm a public figure unless something physically happens to me calling your house doesn't qualify for them that doesn't qualify that's fucking crazy yeah I would think that that would be like a pretty big (laughs) stepping over the line yeah wow calling the house so it's basically just up to you if you want to say hire private security Mm -hmm. or something to to make you and and your wife and kids feel more secure Mm -hmm. but there's the the um local municipalities are just not going to touch that at all i mean i got i got some buddies who were cops and so they were looking out for me especially you know when i was on tour they were going by my house on a regular basis which was awesome and i appreciated it but yeah that was about it do you still get um, any fallout from, from that incident? Do you still get people 
threatening or, or posting online? Or For sure, posting that? online mm-hmm. all the time. Every time I post something. <laughs> <You know>, like, <laughs> yeah. I'm just like to the point where I'm just like, it's, all, it's kind of funny now. Like, uh-huh. you know, I have, like, if you can't laugh at <laughs> your tragedy sometimes, <laughs> it's the only way to make you feel good, right? Sometimes yeah. it is. You know, it's like, I mean, you know. <laughs> Here we are laughing about it. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, we get that stuff too, obviously. And it's just like, at a certain point, what can you, what can you say? You know, I mean, you're just yeah. not gonna change people's minds. Yeah. And I know that. And, uh, you know, it show it happens at shows a lot. That's mainly the only time, like metal shows. Whenever I go to metal shows, some some group of dudes will scream out white power at me. Oh, while you're and on the stage. Well, I'm just walking through the crowd. Oh, I'm wow. at somebody else's show. Oh, I see, I see. Yeah, I'm at somebody else's show walking around through the audience. And so that's the only time when I'm kind of like, whoa, you know. Wow. Keep my chin up. Just keep on going. I'm not going to engage it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to fucking engage it. Mm-hmm. You know? it must not be to tempting. mention they're all fucking yeah. like huge and 10 of them and I'm fucking like, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Wow. I can handle my own, but, you know, I'm not going to go, what am I going to say? Yeah. Sweet, bro. <laughs> Thanks. Um, yeah, I mean, there, there really is. There's, there's nothing. Oh, wait, what, are you, yeah. what am I supposed to say? Yeah, I mean, you know, that's interesting to hear, though, because, I mean, obviously I would expect it online, but mm-hmm. in person, people at shows, I mean, that's kind of next level. Yeah. I mean, I've had a, I had one time at a show, and I'm not going to say what band it was because I don't want to make it sound like the band draws that audience or whatever, but... You know, like I was really drunk. I was hanging out with a bunch of my friends and backstage and fucking hammered and doing shots and I'm fucking lit. I was, I was <laughs> wasted. I'm going out and I'm enjoying the show and then like a group of dudes came up behind me and I was like, holy shit, man. Like I am so fucked up right now. Like I couldn't do anything. I couldn't even run away. I'm so fucking drunk. And it shook me. Like it shook me hard. It like made me reevaluate like, I can't do this in public. I can't be like this. Like, I can't, I, this has to stop. You know, this kind of getting hammered and, you know, that's all it used to be. But yep. the game's kind of changed now. And and so now I just need to be aware of my wits and stuff. So if I go out to a show, I really won't drink. It's very responsible. <laughs> <laughs> But no, I mean, you're right. I don't necessarily I, I mean, want to not drink. <laughs> I just don't drink. Well, that's yeah. probably the definition of responsibility. Yeah. yeah. Fucking responsibility. Yeah, I know. Um, Rob, do you, um, do you have any thoughts on the, uh, the taking the knee uh, of, of the NFL football players? Do I have any what thoughts on it? Do you have it? any thoughts on uh, you know, whether you, you support players doing that or... or um, or you don't? You know, I haven't really followed it too much this year. I mean, I know what's going on, and I don't know who's doing it or who's not doing it. I know that I've seen, like, you know, I follow Trump on Twitter, so I know he's fucking making a big old stink about it. And I don't think there's anything wrong with bringing attention to police brutality by taking a knee. Like, fucking who cares? You know, yeah. I get, like, you know, I get it. I don't feel like it's this disrespect to military or anything i feel like it's you know there's a couple of fucking bad apples out there man and it's and that's all it's taken a knee for is the bad apples yeah it's not a it's not aimed at this kind of wide uh paintbrush that everybody's trying to paint it with and yeah unfortunately <clears throat> um 
so many people just don't see it that way. You know, they're making it into this other issue of uh, it's an offense. I don't to even understand where fucking country we got to do this like at a fucking football. What the fuck does football got to do with you know the national anthem? That's what I like. Said when did like, this why, like become yeah. so entwined? Yeah, like what yeah. is one thing? What is what does a bunch of guys being the share of each other for our amusement have to do with yeah, America? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, like, what, like well, seriously. Not that I'm going to say, like, I don't have anything. Black. I love football I mean, games. They're know, fucking great, but it's t- totally true. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean. You summed that up perfectly. That's, that's <laughs> what I'm here for. Um, I mean, I think most obviously, though, is, is, you know, that most of the players on the field are black. No, no, no. I just mean in terms of like, well, what, why are we even playing the fucking national anthem? Like, what does this have to? do Oh, what, with this? what does this mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. This is uh, this is a silly. Um, yeah. uh, They're not literally yeah. marching off. Yeah, into I mean, we've somehow country, associated right? pa- patriotism right. with football, which makes like, no sense. Not at all. Yeah. yeah, you know, like not at all. Yeah. You know, the fucking half those goddamn players are going to be gone next year, right? <laughs> yeah. Right. On somebody else's team right. for fucking who knows what. Yeah. It's like that Seinfeld episode, you know, you're basically just loyal to a jersey. Right. Yeah, to the clothes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it is. Um, it, seriously, like, it has me rethinking my, my fandom of any sports at all. I'm like, so wait, I just root for the clothes? Like, why am I even doing this? It seems so arbitrary. <laughs> you really love those clothes. Too. I think, see, yeah, I think yeah. if you kind of sport, you know, like, since I had kids, I was never into, like, I was never into the traditional sports you know, like I wasn't very athletic when I was a kid, so I didn't play the baseball. I, didn't, I mean, I played it with friends, but I was never on like the teams. I got crazy into jujitsu, and I had an amazing teacher who just took me under his wing and took this really introverted kid and helped him get confidence. So my athleticism was always more in, in that kind of a, a zone, and so I never got the fucking crazy, like crazy sports dude. You know, my dad would take me to Raider games and literally just fucking pace up and down and fucking gosh, just fucking veins popping out of his forehead and just losing his mind. And I'm like, what the fuck, dude? Like, it was insane. You know, he was working something else out well, yeah, in yeah. that. <laughs> it had nothing to do whether the Raiders were winning or losing. And, you know. What so kind of music did he listen to? My dad? Yeah. He listened to just oldies. Okay. I, gr- I grew up with him playing music from the 30s and 40s all the time you know like boogie woogle bugle boy of company c sure. and all that shit well, and there my was mom my he mom was that through music what's that he couldn't burn aggression through music that's right yeah he could he had machine head yeah he does now mm-hmm. yeah he'll get it out now at the machine head shows oh, my mom cool. though had the uh my mom was really into like old r&b and old soul though so mm-hmm. that was basically the music i grew up with was like Chaka Khan, Commodores, Earth, Wind, and Fire, shit like that. And then the early happy Beatles, but not mm-hmm. the drugged out hippie like Beatles. Pre revival like, Beatles. Yes, exactly. So Help and I Want to yeah. Hold Your Hand and Love Me Do and all that. So mm-hmm. that was, you know, when I think of pop music, that's where my brain goes to. That and like Commodores. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I, I did want to ask you about and, um, did you follow the what went on with the decapitated case in, in Washington? A little bit, yeah. I left for the press tour right as that was kind of breaking. Right, right. So Do you have any thoughts on that and what, what happened there? I, I mean, I still don't know if I know. I mean, I think I heard that, like, some chick accused... She was right on their bus and accused them of raping her or something, right? That's, like, that's basically, basically, that yeah. a nutshell? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> Fuck, I, dude, I'm, you know... 
I'm in a goddamn heavy metal band. I've seen chicks go fucking <laughs> like right. do shit that you just never even fathom. Well, it's, uh, I mean, if something happened, that really sucks. And I, it's, I guess it's very possible that it could have happened. You know, generally when chicks ride on the bus, it's because they're just like want to hang out with band dudes. And uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I don't know enough about the story to really give like a real comment. I mean, especially like from my like youth, like I was hang, you know, I was dating fucking strippers and like I was a sex addict and I was hanging out with other like sex addict chicks and we were just all having fun and it was just fucking insane. It was just insane. Like, and all the strippers are out of their minds and, and that's kind of why you want to hang out with strippers, right? <laughs> Cause it's fun and you're 20 something and it's great. You know, I don't. But, you know, so I see it also from this completely other side that maybe, like, the mainstream world doesn't really see it. So, I don't know. It's a, it's a crazy question. You know, I mean, if anything, you, you talk about fan interaction and, like, where I thought you were going with it, or at least where my brain went to it when you asked was, you know, like, where... Like, for me, the biggest crazy fan interaction thing was after Dimebag. I was going to say. Know, like, that was, that affected me on a personal level right. way right. more. A, because I knew Dimebag, and B, because just it was just so fucking random. You know, it's fucking scary. Right. It's crazy that's shit. that's what you do. Like, that really could have been you. Yeah. Yeah. So that, you know, that... That's probably where my mind goes more. Okay. I mean, anybody can say anything. You know, that's the thing. Right. You know what I mean? Like, fucking, I've had fucking people, you know, be like, oh, you're a child molester. And like, like, they can fucking say anything they want. And Uh again, because I'm a public figure. Right. What can I really fucking do about it? Right. You know, I'm not going to sue some motherfucker, you know, unless it just gets so completely out of hand. But, you know, people can say whatever they want. And you just got to kind of deal with it. Okay. And that's kind of what the world we live in now, too. Right. Do you um, do you still carry the the dime bag, um, you know, for lack of a better term, baggage with you uh, when when you're on stage? Is it still on the back of your head? Where, no, you know, never. What I was mean, it right after? The oh interview? yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think about it now. I mean, I mean, you're talking like maybe once or twice on a tour. Mm-hmm. You know, once or twice on a tour when you get that one like super stalkery dude up front and you're like and I've had a couple stalkers you know and I gotta eject them I got a couple guys here and there and I just have to have them ejected before the show you know they do just creepy shit like they'll pass me a fucking note through security or they'll like just weird shit you know and it's like not wow. <laughs> it'll just bum my vibe out right out so I'm like you're out well, like, what's one like super crazy thing that a stalker or you know crazy person did to you before a show that made you uncomfortable I mean just the note thing was the one thing that really got. What did it say? I assume it said, yeah, it didn't no, say it anything gonna, nice. Yeah, no, I didn't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna kill you. You know, like, roses are red, you. violets. Are red. <laughs> it was a death threat. It was a death threat. Oh yeah. wow! Yeah. Wow! And it's a, it's a weird. And you, you know, saw. And he the passed person. it to he passed it to the security guard, and the security guard handed it to me at this kind of random moment. And I was like, oh, you know, like, I get, you know, people do that all the time. They'll give me shirts or flowers or, you know, whatever. And I read it and I'm like, oh, like, <laughs> wow. oh shit. And, and you know, that I had a weird vibe about it the whole time anyway. The dude was just seriously straight up tripping on me 
up in the front row. And I was like, what is this dude's fucking deal? He's not headbanging. He's not singing. He's not. He's just fucking, you know, mad dogging me. And so, yeah. Wow, you know, you that, just remember what they look like. You know, yeah. we've had people like break into the dressing room and, you know, like come off stage and they're there. And, you know, just sometimes it's benign and other times it's a little more, you know, we have to take precautions here and there. Hmm. Do, do you it's have pretty a, rare. Um, do you it's have, pretty rare. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, our fans are fucking awesome, and most of them are just, they just want to fucking hang out with the band and drink fucking brown eyes. <laughs> that's the, that's I mean, what I think they, that's most people. That's, yeah, yeah, that's I mean, most that's people. What most you know people what I mean? want to do, you know, maybe take a selfie. Uh, For it's sure. probably about the, the most invasive thing. But, uh, yeah, there are those Or just fucking like, hang out, you know what I mean? Like, sometimes they just want to fucking joke and, you know, just make us laugh. And, and we love all that shit, you know? Like, we appreciate that. You know, spend some time or tell us a story about something or, you know, like, that's the shit that... I think that's the shit that sticks with me more than anything. I never think of... You know, like, you're, t- you're asking me these questions, and so I'm thinking about it and talking about it, but I would never talk about it because it's never at the top of my mind mm-hmm. like when i think about the head cases like it's all just like super positive like 99.9999 percent of it is super insanely you know really deep conversations amazing conversations about life you know shit like that that's not anything in a negative context how do, how do you think the head cases are going to respond to the new album uh, seeing as it's a uh, segue, <laughs> uh, seeing as it's, um, you know, a little bit different musically than what you guys have been doing the past three, I guess, four, right? four, four records. I think they're yeah. going to like it, man. Mm-hmm. I do. I, uh, you know, I've been telling them, I've been super straight up. You have? Like fucking back in August, I was like, <laughs> it's different. It's, you know. Lower your, I've been telling everybody, lower your expectations for the heaviness. And I feel that's an accurate assessment. You know, it, my, that's my assessment of it. Right. Um, that it's a very grooving, very melodic record. Probably the least thrashiest we've been in over a decade. And when I was sitting there, trying to think of like, you know, I knew I was going on press tour and I'm like, what am I going to say about this record? Like, what can't, like, I can't say like, bro, this is the fucking heaviest, like we're crushed. You know, like I can't say that. I couldn't say that. So I just said what I've, I, my interpretation of it is. And I know it was a little shocking to people at first. And it's, you know, lots of people are kind of like, ah. but I feel like when the record drops, they'll appreciate that. They'll appreciate that I didn't try and, you know, I could tell anybody, I could make anybody believe right now that it's fucking rain and blood if I wanted to. Like, I don't, but I'm not going to, because it's not. And that would be absurd of me to try and present it that way. And I, you know, it's such a cliche to be fucking, it's the fucking heaviest ever, you know? And I just said, and you know, that's, that's me. Like, I just don't fucking... There's not really a, my band tells me this, there's not really a filter (laughs) between your brain and your mouth, you know, and that's what they love about me and that's what they don't like about me at times. And and when I was thinking about it, I was just like, that's true. You know, like fucking, I'm like rapping on on some songs. Like I can't be like, this is the heaviest ever. So. Yeah, there was, uh, what was it? I think the the fifth track, uh, a third 
rain or uh, ter- thir- thir- uh, third beam, three beam, triple beam, triple beam, triple beam. <laughs> third beam. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, between the three of us, we found it. <laughs> um, there was some rapping. Yeah, on there that is some one, rapping right? on that song. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Right. But do I have the the track right? You do. Yes. Third beam. So, um, <laughs> Third, so Jim Beam, um, <laughs> was there, um, like, do you think there are going to be fans that are like, oh, like, Machine Head's going back to the burning red, no. you know, like, whipping out that one photo they always you know, post? I've been saying, I've been saying, this is the record that could have come after the burning red. That's what this record is to, to me. That's my interpretation of it. And for no reason in particular, we didn't... You know, everybody always thinks there's this big fucking plan, and we've got we have a big a big big meeting before we start writing. Go, this is what we're gonna do, and this is how it's gonna end up. And like, it's never like that. Like, I don't like maybe that's like that for somebody else, but it is just it's fucking Beavis and Butthead in that Machine Head jam room. <laughs> like, it's just that's cool. Eh, it sucks. You know, it's just like that. Like, it's never we never have this. Like to me. To me, every record's a journey, you know, and the hardest part is taking that first step because you don't know where you're going. You have no idea where that journey is going to end or where it's going to take you. And, and somewhere along that journey, you go, well, let's go over here for a minute. And, you know, this is kind of weird, but, you know, it seems okay. And then you hang out there for a couple of weeks and you're like, this is really too weird like (laughs) this isn't even good weird this is just shitty weird and then you go wherever back to the same machine head thing that we do and then other times we go to another way and go yeah this is kind of weird and we live in that weird area for a while and we go no this is a good weird like i like this weird let's stay here and kind of just do our thing and as long as it's a good song i i feel like we can pull it off and there's a lot of different vibes on this record. You know, there's, there's us playing a completely melodic acoustic song with no heavy guitars and no heavy vocals for the first time ever. You know, there's some stuff that's very reminiscent of the Burning Red. There's stuff that is super. You know, there's to me, Bastards is basically just a folk song. Like it's just it's that, that's four the chords one that you that, put out previously, before, yeah. right? Mm-hmm, uh, yeah. The acoustic version. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's just a folk song, you know. It's it's four chords that have been played a million times over the last hundred years, but it was a good song, and we rolled with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's, you know, we started asking a lot of us, ourselves, like, yeah, okay, this is definitely out of our zone here. This is definitely not in our standard machine head wheelhouse. But does that mean it's not good? Because if it's good, let's just go with it. Because we don't know what's going to... you know, Nobody knows what is going to fucking work. And there's no fucking plan. And nobody knows what the fuck they're doing. And I don't know what I'm doing. And neither does anybody else. And we're just kind of trying to figure it all out in real time. And then you get to the point where... you know, I just sit there and I listen back and I'm like... These songs are great. Like The record's good to go. Let's fucking go with it. And... you know, I felt the same way that I feel with this record when I finished The Blackening. Now, like, we had the first four songs we wrote for that record were the four shortest songs. Mm -hmm. It was Slanderous, Beautiful Morning, Aesthetics of Hate, and Now I Lay Thee Down. For five months, there was no indication whatsoever that we would suddenly have 
10 minute long songs. And then one day we started writing 10 minute long songs and we didn't even realize they were 10 minute long. We don't have a, you know, we don't have a fucking clock in our room or anything. And then one day we timed it and we went, what the fuck? We got four 10 minute long songs. Like I freaked out. I was like, we're climbing up our, we're becoming like self-absorbed musicians. Like we got to trim the fat. Like these songs got to be six minutes, you know? And so we trimmed the songs down, trimmed four to five minutes off of all those four minute, 10 minute long songs. And it was like taking the, the loop, the loops out of a roller coaster. I was like, this sucks. And I don't know if this is the right thing to do. I don't know if our fans are going to get this. I mean, you go watch my interviews. Like, I'm like, I hope our fans get this. And people got it. You know, but there was, you know, we didn't know if they would. And I think because we're living it and creating it and writing it and going through all the ups and downs that you go through in a, you know, eight to 10 months or 12 months of a writing process. Like, we don't have this... uh you know, like you guys can look at it and go, you know, you put it in this time frame or people put it in this time frame or whatever. We can't look at it like that. Right. It's just this thing that we've lived and here we are. And, you know, I think with this record, there was so much just spontaneous shit, shit that just came about. Like, like Triple Beam was written in two days. You know, like I wrote the lyrics to it weeks before we had even played the riffs. Like it was basically just a poem about this super fucking insane part of my life when I was a drug dealer dealing speed and I wrote it. And when I was done, I was like, holy shit, fucking. And then I just put it in my sheet of lyrics and I wrote new songs after that and didn't know if I'd ever do anything with it. You know? And then one day in the studio, Dave and I were messing around with those riffs for triple beam. He wrote the middle section and I wrote the, the main riff. And then I, I pulled out three sets of lyrics totally different sets of lyrics, like nothing even connected from different days. And I started singing one and it was fucking garbage. And then I sang another and it was garbage. And then I started singing triple beam. And I was like, holy shit. And there was a lot of words and there was, there was a story that needed to be told. And I was like, I'm going to have to wrap this. I'm never going to fit all these words in. And I just did it like fucking maybe two days. I think I sang it twice. And that second take was what you hear. Wow. And it was just this crazy, spontaneous thing. And so, you know, when people go, oh, they're going back to this, or they're going, like, we're not, <laughs> like, there's no, like, we weren't going anywhere to anything. Like, it just happened. And when I stepped back, I went, fuck, this is a good song, man. Well, it's really the, the new album has, it's kind of an amalgamation of all the different machine head styles all mm-hmm. in one, you know, really like it really isn't like going back necessarily to burning red or mm-hmm. any particular other album. It's sort of like the entire history of machine head all in one place. And even more, you know, to yeah, me, I feel yeah, like, yeah. I feel like there's some stuff that we haven't ever done. Staring at the sun, screaming at the sun, screaming yeah. at the sun. Mm-hmm. I'm going to get one of these song titles right <laughs> one of these days. I promise. Please do. I am. By the way, please we are, do. We are both notoriously <laughs> horrible with song titles. <laughs> me too. Um, Who knows song titles anymore? But like, that's I don't know any song titles yeah, anymore. I'm, yeah. I'm like, oh, the the third track on side A. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, side A. See, like, now they're playing the record, which is bad. To play it on the air, I mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, that song's really different for you guys, like you were saying. I, I don't know. I'm really into it. Right on. Do you awesome. know which one we're talking no, about? No, because I'm terrible with song names. <laughs> it's a ballad. 
kind no. of. No? Scream at the Sun's like one of the heaviest jams on I'm there. I'm thinking of the wrong song. Oh, my God. You guys didn't yeah, even listen to the record, it. did you? <laughs> <laughs> okay, you guys can talk while I The ballad is uh, Behind a Mask. Yes. Okay. Screaming at the Sun is also really good. Right on. There's a lot of cool shit on here. I want to say also, like, this album, I think, is very unusual in that, uh, for me at least, like, it it starts strong, but it really takes off in the second half. Oh, yeah? Yeah. I don't really have a question there. I just want to make that observation. Right on. I feel like it actually gets stronger as it goes along. Take ass. Um, were there, um, you know, and apologies for not really getting to totally dig into the lyrics yet, um, but have the events of the past year plus uh, informed the, the lyrics uh, that you're approaching on this album? Uh, you know, to some I mean, degree. obviously there's Bastards. We talked about that. That was a direct reaction. For sure. To... And that was written the day after the election. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. You know, to some degree, for sure. Uh, I don't, you know, I don't want to make it sound like the whole record's just this big, super social, political thing either, because it really isn't. There's you know, like there's I mean there's a couple there's a couple of songs, you know, there's there is that element, you know, a song like Volatile or a song like Bastards is definitely social, political, blunt, fucking coarse language. And then there's a song like California or Razorblade Smile that's just like, let's get fucked up. <laughs> like <laughs> let's get hammered and, you know, have a fucking blast and that's its own type of catharsis. And, kaleidoscope. You know, there's something like Kaleidoscope, which is about music, songs like Eulogy, which are about depression. You know, even, you know, screaming at the sun, you know, hope begets hope with hope. And, hope begets hope. You know, mm-hmm. so, uh, or even Beyond the Pale, which is just about, you know, not feeling like a part of what is going on today. You know, like I found my heroes, the freaks and zeros. And, and so in that respect, it's a lot of different stuff. You know, there's a lot of different emotions going into this album. Uh, and that is one of the reasons we called it catharsis because there was just so many, you know, a lot of, you know, you look at maybe earlier Machine Head records when I was fucking 24 and full of just fucking piss and vinegar and rage. It's just all piss and vinegar and rage. There's, you know, it's unrelenting. And with this, there was a lot of different shit that was being said. And, and you know, I think you take all that and it adds up to a story, you know, but yes, if you want to know about current events affecting this record, absolutely. I mean, I think current events affect every record. You know, the blackening was very much affected by current events, and and this record's no different. I don't think that any artist worth their salt can't be affected. You know, I think that one of the reasons that you know you become an artist and you make music or you paint or whatever is because you maybe feel things a little bit more than other people do, and you can take that and emote that into your music or emote that into your painting or whatever, you know, acting or whatever you want to call it. And so whenever people are like, you know, shut up and play, I get that all the time. Shut up and play your guitar. It's like, you know, fuck you, (laughs) you know, fuck you. Like, I don't have the right to say something, but you do. Yeah, completely agree. And I mean, even if you're not writing overtly political lyrics, how could, current events not inspire you and so not not affect your art in some way yeah i mean there's one song on here the opening track that was i mean 
if if art is a snapshot of somebody's headspace in that moment, which is what art is to me and music is to me. You know, that song that I wrote that song and recorded it on the day of the Charlottesville murders. And, you know, it'd been going on for two days, Friday and Saturday, we were in the studio watching and all this shit happen. And, and I remember I watched the video of that, that girl, Heather Meyer getting run over by the car. And I was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, this is fucking insane. We've got fucking white supremacists marching and fucking murdering people. You know, it seems like we're having a fucking white supremacist march every two weeks now. And I was really affected. And I went into the I went into the kitchen area of the studio and I just wrote lyrics for like twenty minutes. Just fucking vomited lyrics out. Twenty minutes later I went in and sang it. Hmm. And two takes later that song was done. Wow. And that's what you hear, you know, just a fucking raw burst of fury and anger and frustration and confusion about what is going on. So the song, the, the music was written, it just didn't have lyrics. Yeah, the yet. music yeah. was already, mm-hmm. that was the last song written, though, for the record. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. What is Hope Begets Hope about? I mean, obviously it's about hope begetting hope. But <laughs> and it's a cool way to sneak in a biblical word like begets. Yes. Well, it's interesting because like speaking about things that can be interpreted different ways. I actually did interpret that song kind of politically, but mm-hmm. but that's obviously just my psychology hearing the phrase "hope begets hope" and thinking like, "Fuck sure. yeah, we can do this." So yeah, for definitely. Okay, that's in there. Is it about something more specific to you? You don't have to answer this, by the way. I guess. I don't want to ruin it. It's a mystery. <laughs> I don't want to ruin you know what? That's, song, that song to me was, you know, there was, there was a time when, so when I recorded Bastards and stuck it up on YouTube, just that acoustic version, in, in my mind, that was the end of it. And, and then it was just, you know, and that was pretty early on in the writing process. The writing process began in September of last year and, and then that was in November and, and then we just went back to, to writing. And, you know, we'd kind of discussed maybe jamming it as a band, but it was just like, you know, this is probably not going to work. So, you know, just got forgotten about for a long time. But then, you know, that idea that was in Bastards, the stand your ground, don't let the bastards grind you down, be bold, be strange, don't let their fears make you afraid, that kept on popping up in other songs. You know, that popped up in Hope Begets Hope, mm-hmm. popped up in Catharsis, it popped up in Eulogy, popped up, you know, and it just became this thread that weaved its way through the album lyrically. And even though that song hadn't been recorded as a band, it was just this thing. And so that was actually recorded pretty late into the album, the Bastards band version. And, you know, it tied in that's the next song is hope he gets hope, right. you know, kind of reaffirming the stand your ground idea. And, you know, so it, to me, it, it you know, machine heads always have these empowering mm-hmm. songs, you know, Imperium or tent on hammer, but there was something special about that one. And there was something special about the way that it held the record together. And, you know, to me, when I look at a record, it's every record we make is a movie. 
I hear it a movie, I see it as a movie, like it's got to have the killer fucking opening scene, it's got to go through the peaks and valleys, and it ends on a, you know, Luke, I'm your father, or it ends with, you know, <laughs> a tragedy or a victory or whatever. And, uh, and this was just a piece, you know, like it was such an important piece to the story of this album, this very cinematic album that we've made, that we had to incorporate it because it tied everything together. Right. Cool. Um, so you've uh, you've got a tour coming up here, another mm-hmm. evening with. Mm-hmm. Um, what was the experience like on the first evening with? Uh, did you dig it? Um, did you miss having opening bands? Um, I mean, I guess that question sort of answers itself since you're doing it again. <laughs> but um, uh, what um, what can you tell us about the evening with experience that was? Different we, from the way you've done it before. We loved it, man. We, you know, we had uh, we had gotten into this routine where, you know, for a long time there, I want to say like Supercharger, Burning Red, like all the way out to like Through the Ashes, we were headlining, you know, and taking opening bands, but we were just headlining. So we were never supporting anybody. Nobody wanted to take us out, basically. So we just went out and headlined and like, this is what we do. Okay, fine. Nobody wants to take us out. Fucking headline. And uh, and in general, most you know, of our fans hate our opening. And it doesn't matter who we bring out with us. They just don't like the opening band. You know, we took out Bring Me the Horizon, who were killing it. I thought it was a no-brainer. They were throwing fucking garbage cans at them on stage. And we were like, Jesus Christ. Like, I don't know what you want. But, uh, they want to see you. Yeah. And, you know, and then we had gotten into festivals. And, and you know, there just came a point with, the festival thing, you know, not so, I mean, to a large degree over in Europe, but really over here where we're doing, you know, a half an hour slot and we're playing four, sometimes five songs. And it's to a lot of people who don't really care. And I just got fucking super burnt out on it. I really just started to hate playing festivals. I hated being on stage. I hated looking at onto a fucking audience. Like I would just fucking glaring at a fucking audience staring at them and just being like fuck every one of you (laughs) and i remember the last three festivals we did over in europe and it's not so much to hear but you know if you're doing festivals in one continent you have to do them everywhere right Right. because that's just the way it is and it was freezing every day it's 40 45 degrees pissing down fucking rain first day Freezing, pissing down rain. Second day, freezing, pissing down rain. The third day. And I'm just drenched in fucking ice cold rainwater. The fucking tarp on the stage is fucking ripped. And now water's just pouring into my fucking amp. And I'm fucking, it's farting out on me. And fucking, and I'm just like looking out. And everybody's freezing in their fucking rain parkas. And the rain comes. And everybody runs to the tents. And they're standing in foot and a half of mud. And I'm like, this sucks. Like, when did this become fucking metal? Like, when did this become a thing? Like, this is, like, supposed to be good. And, yeah, the payday's good. But that's it. And I was like, I'm, I'm, I mean, most importantly, I felt no connection with the audience. Like, it could have been fucking anybody up there. Mm-hmm. It could have been fucking anybody up there. Going, A, everybody can do the circle pit around the fucking soundboard now. And I was like, this ain't why I started doing this. 
you know, like we're in this fucking weird thing now where like metal is like heavy metal buffet and it's 160 fucking, you know, when I started doing festivals back in 1994, it was, we did Donington, Monsters of Rock, eight bands, really? one stage, <laughs> wow, one stage, <laughs> one day, mm-hmm. you know, and it was fucking packed, 70,000 people, you know, it was, you know, and back then I think a good Festival play could be a game changer for your band where you'd draw more people, you'd make people more aware of you, maybe sell more records. And maybe that's the case now. Maybe you can still do that. Maybe some band can do that, but we can't do that. Machine Head can't do that. And what worked for us 15 years ago or 10 years ago or five years ago isn't necessarily going to work for us now probably isn't going to work for us now. And we had to take a long, hard look at the way we do things with our band, with where we're at, nine albums into our career at 50 years old. You know, everybody in the band other than, you know, Jared, who's, you know, 30. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, great because of that. And go like, hey, like, is is this working for us? Like, is this working for us? Are we selling more records? No. Are we drawing more people? No. In fact, we're drawing less. Are we selling more merch? No. Well, but it's a good payday, and it's what we've done for all this time. But, you know, is that what's best for us? And so we decided to change, and a lot of people tried to take talk us out of this evening with thing. They're like, only fucking jam bands like hippie bands do this you're not a hippie band hippie bands and dream theater yeah and do they yeah i don't really know yeah, too much do. about how they tour so i've yeah. never seen them so but you know a lot of people tried to talk us out of it especially because bands like us don't do this no i mean really i can't think of any other metal bands yeah. that ever as long as we've been doing this that have done it yeah not one and you know not to sound cocky but i don't know if any other bands could and, and I say that not trying to be arrogant, but I say that because the one thing that we've always had, as a, even though we're a metal band, is we've always had these mellow moments on a record. You know, I think Amon and Marth did it once. Yeah. So one, one other yeah. band. It was like a special anniversary. Yeah. Right, right. Yes. Right. Yeah. 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 Yes. That's right. Yeah. But those mellow songs that our fans have always loved, but that we never play live because we're playing a 45 minute set or a half an hour or even, you know, co-headlining with somebody for an hour, you know, you're only going to throw one of those in and doing that with the evening with allows us to put in a song like the burning red or a descend the shades of night or a sail into the black or a darkness within, or a I'm your God. Now going back to the first record or a, you know, any, like you can think of all those times and that gives that, that three hour, two and a half to three hours it gives everybody a breather. It gives the fans a breather. It gives us a breather. And that's what makes it killer. And then, you know, I think in a lot of ways, man, the Evening With Tour is what helped shape this record. I mean, we were, we didn't play from this day for a good decade. You know, Dave, our drummer, was really against it. He's like, oh, everybody hates that song. And just like, whatever, you know, got whatever backlash. You know, when we first started, we were incorporating these rap elements into, you know, our first early stuff, you know, very, you know, aggressively incorporating rap. And they're, you know, I mean, I always bring this up. 
and I said this a bunch of times, but I never got how people didn't see that rap element. You know, in the Davidian video, I'm rocking cornrows and we're walking around Oakland with fucking pit bulls. Like, it's a rap video. You know, like, that's all it was. We were emulating a rap video. And, and then we covered Colors on the second album, you know, the color Ice-T by, uh, Colors by Ice-T. And so, you know, we started playing from this day and it was just like a straight up fucking smash. And then we started playing out Crashing Around You, and it was a straight-up smash. And we were like, I thought you guys hated these socks. And I, that's what everybody's constantly telling us. you know. And we always play Bulldozer, and Bulldozer always went over great off of Supercharger, the record that apparently all of our fans left us on. But we play that song, and people would lose their fucking minds. And we were like, you know what, man? Like, we just got to kind of trust our gut on this and just do our thing and... You know, if it doesn't jive with what everybody else is doing, that's cool. But the head cases love it. We love it. Like, mixing up the sets and playing songs. You know, we started, especially towards the end, we got really, like, really into mixing up the sets. And we had these rotating slots all the time. And we were putting in songs that, you know, songs we hadn't played 10, 15 years. And it was just, as a musician, super inspiring. It was super refreshing. It totally reinvigorated our live show. Made, you know, it just made it a lot more enjoyable and we were like let's just get you know and the thing that's crazy about it to me is that this is weird you know when bruce springsteen comes to town it's not like anybody goes hey who's the five bands opening for springsteen tonight like right. nobody fucking cares you know when you two come to town stones whoever it's always in this i just saw paul mccartney no fucking opening bands he played for three hours and guess what it was fucking amazing like incredible songs beatles and wings and solo stuff and just it was everything I wanted. You know, I wouldn't have wanted an opening band on there, but somehow like metals got into this, like you got to have an opening band right. or 10. Well, well, that's the thing I see, you know, is like, and like, I don't agree with this, but you know, like people saying, um, well, uh, you know, they should take out opening bands because they need to support the ecosystem and, yeah. you know, like bands get exposure to their audience and whatever, you know? And like, I think you guys have certainly earned the ability to, just skip that. We're supporting the ecosystem. You know? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> trust me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> We've been you, supporting you it for a long time. Stimulating the economy just fine. <laughs> um, but uh, you know, I have seen some negativity around that of people, sure. you know, kind of grumbling about it. Sure, know, they feel like you Those guys people should. would find a reason to grumble no matter what. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, but no, I mean, I think it's great. Um, I saw you guys at the New York show. Um, uh -huh. I guess probably. Was it two, maybe even two, three? Was it three years, years ago, ago already? Mm -hmm. I think it probably was. Um, and then you went and you did it in Europe, mm -hmm. right? And uh, now it's coming back. And again. then we came back again in the U.S. Okay, okay. We went back to Europe. Yeah, right. It, it was killer. Um, we did it all over. Mm -hmm. We did it Japan, Australia, Thailand, fucking Taiwan. It was awesome. That's great. Yeah, that's awesome. And it worked everywhere: Mexico, South America, like mm -hmm. everywhere we went, and people were eating it up. And we were like, "This is a good thing, man. We got to." Know, whether, you know, ignore whatever chatter that's going on. Like, this is working for us. And right. I'm not saying it would work for everybody. Right. You know, especially if you got two records out. Like, you don't have enough material to do that. But we have nine records out. We have too much material to go through, you know. Well, yeah, it's like, uh, like we were saying earlier, with the political stuff, you know, you just have to trust your gut and uh, just go with what feels yeah. right. And we didn't know if it was going to work. You know, there was a big thing about this is probably not going to work. And for months leading up to the tour, it was like this is this is probably not going to work. 
and then it worked. And then you just go with it. Mm-hmm. And you just go with it because what the fuck else am I going to do? You know, like I'm 50 years old. I've been playing in bands since I was 18 years old. I was on tour at 16 years old. I was on tour when I was 19 years old. Like this is all I've done for as long as I can remember. And I had some odd jobs in there. You know, I worked for my Uncle Donnie's construction company for a while as the grunt, digging three foot, three foot by three foot ditches all the way around the house. And when that, you know, when the 24, 24 foot long two by fours needed to be carried up five flights of stairs, that was me. You know, I've stripped furniture for a while, breathing fucking acid in while stripping all the, you know, the shellac off of chairs like this. Dealt drugs for a while. I worked. I actually catered for Bill Graham for a while. Really? Yeah, <laughs> I did catering, and I was that douchey dude that would like pass out my demo to the rock stars when, they, <laughs> when they're like, hand, when I'm handing them food, like my hair's all tied back. I'm like, hey, Machine Head demo, Scott Wheeland, here you go. <laughs> That's I left our demo in the Pearl Jam dressing room. Like, uh-huh. here you go, right next to the cheese tray. Check this out, guys. They're probably like, So what now the you've fuck? got a song out of drug dealing. When do we get the song about furniture shellac? Yeah, they, right? <laughs> a good one. Hey, if, if the inspiration comes, okay. uh, I will, uh, I will I'll let you know. Um, so when it's time to approach a set list, especially for a show like this where you're going to have two and a half, three hours, mm-hmm. do you also try and approach that like you're making a movie? Like, does that same thinking go into for, it? For sure. It has uh-huh. to have a flow. Right. Like, like a structure. It has to have yeah. a, yeah, it's got to have the breathers. It's got to have, you know, can't cluster certain groups of songs together. So, yeah, for sure. There's definitely a flow. And then we have this wild card section mm-hmm. that we rotate. Mm-hmm. And and then sometimes we just flip to a whole different set, which we started doing in, on the last Europe run. You know, when you guys saw us, too, that was, I think that was two weeks into the first dates of as an evening with. So we were still figuring out what we were even doing. Like we hadn't, we hadn't figured out how to do an evening with, I mean, that tour was fucking grueling, dude. We had, you know, up until then, especially because I was doing so many festivals, like it wouldn't be unusual for us to do nine shows in a row. You know, and I'm only playing, singing for half an hour, 45 minutes. It was doable. You know, and then we started doing two and a half hour shows, still booking nine in a row. Uh-huh. And it was like, oh my God. I was like, dude, <laughs> I can't physically am incapable. We did, there was a run, not, it was after New York, because I remember up until New York was actually fairly easy. And then we got into the Midwest in the middle of the tour. We did nine in a row, day off five days in a row so 14 shows in 15 days two and a half almost three hours long and i was like i was losing my fucking mind like losing my voice like fucking i just walked around like a mute basically (laughs) not never talking and i was like i can't do this ever again man like i can't this is too this is physically impossible for me and then you know, and then we started having like fucking health issues, you know, fucking gallbladder and fucking ear blowing out and, you know, fucking diarrhea, you know, like, and it was like, then it just became more insane. I was like, okay, new plan. <laughs> we got to make a new plan. So now we do, you know, Days three off. in a row. Yeah. We yeah. do three in a row max. So. Yeah. Um, until the uh, until the private jet days of Machine Head come, you can do three in a row. We, we, hey, we've had the, we've had those a couple times. Hey, yeah. All right, there big, you go. Big rollers. Yeah. <laughs> um, We're not rolling around in the G four like Metallica. 
But they took us on their private jet one time. That was pretty rad. There you go. That That's was pretty awesome. Cool. They were like, hey, they're like, we, they, we had a day off and they're like, hey, you want to want to hang out with us and ride in our private jet tomorrow? <laughs> we're like, <laughs> sounds horrible. <laughs> like, no, what are you? It was killer. You know, we went and fucking those guys. It's funny too. I broke about with this with Brand from Macedon because those guys are always like, especially like Lars and Kirk. They're like, yeah, we're metal. Like we're just like you guys. Like we're we're all together. Like we're all just like you guys. And then we walk into a bar with them, and they get thirty three bottles of Dom Perignon at Swedish <laughs> bar prices, and you're just like, we're not the same. Like we're not at all the same here. Fucking flying in the G four, and you know you're you're hanging out. We're hungover as fuck, and then we rage with them, and then we fly on the plane, and the the, the was it the stewardess, waitress? Um, I believe the um, the term stewardess. now is waitress. Um, no, stewardess. Uh, flight attendant. Flight attendant. Flight attendant. Flight attendant. Yeah. yeah, the flight attendant comes out. We're like, we're sorry, we don't have any of the sushi. All we have is the the poke and the. <laughs> I was like, dude, I'm good with peanuts. Like, just stoked to be here. Uh, Give me awesome. some shitty airline. It was amazing. They they like treated us really people. good, man. They treated us fucking awesome. Super. It was a really crazy, fun, insane time hanging out. Like, dream come true shit. You know what I mean? Like, just fucking dream come true shit. I watched every single show. Every single night. And just was like, like, even if our show sucked, and a lot of times the shows, like, their crowd could give a fuck about Mm -hmm. Machine Head. But just watching those Well, there was that video several years ago of you in the crowd, right? Uh, Watching Metallica. Oh, yeah? Out with the people. Okay. Somebody spotted Somebody. you filmed All right. Yeah. It was cool. It was yeah, like, it was awesome. he really likes this shit. Yeah, it's dude. not. <laughs> I mean, it was just like, yeah, I mean, dude, like, especially being from the Bay Area, that was, you know, I saw, the first time I saw Metallica, they were opening for Raven at the Keystone Berkeley in front of 250 people at a 500-seater that wasn't even sold out, like half full. And, you know, I was freaking out then to Metallica. You know, that was like, and I've said this a bunch of times on the tour on the press tour but like that was my Beatles Ed Sullivan moment like you always hear the old cats like I saw the Beatles on Ed Sullivan and I went and picked like that was me my friend and I drove home drove home that night my dad picked us up and I couldn't even see Raven because he was picking us up to go home and uh and fucking it was like okay we're getting a guitar we're gonna play thrash metal we're gonna <laughs> get into fucking clubs we're gonna open one of the Exodus shows and, and you know here I am. The rest is history. Thirty-two later. Yeah. Thirty-two years later. Uh, Rob, thank you so much for being a part of our podcast. Uh, thanks for coming by. We really appreciate it. Uh, love the new record, and um, best of luck to you on it. Ah, you're welcome, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. <laughs>